I like that. I like Gigi. <laughs> Gigi's a good name. That's what my roommate's um, car was named. Oh, really? Yep. Because her license plate starts with GGD. Mm-hmm. But if it was, like, feeling a little masculine, it'd be GGD. <laughs> and then if it was parked to my car, which was Lucy, it would be Gigi, because they're having a sleepover and they're best friends. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to use that as the cold open. <laughs> I like that one the best for the cold open. Are you kidding me? Cars having a sleepover because they're parked next to each other on the street? I love it. <laughs> Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor for Waterways Digest. I'm Lauren Delcello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. And I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. In this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we will unpack a recent U.S. EPA proposal to amend coal ash wastewater and monitoring rules, and we'll also discuss Ohio's new H2 Ohio plan, which aims to reduce algae blooms, improve wastewater infrastructure, and prevent lead contamination. Interjecting from the editing booth here in post, um, our original planned interview with Randy Abrams from OpSWAT didn't work out this month because of some technical difficulties, so instead we're going to be sharing with you an interview that we conducted during WEFTEC 2019 with Mods Warming from Danfoss. He talked to us about drives and the evolution of them and kind of the direction that they're heading and how they can be used for some alternative purposes. So that'll be our interview later on in the episode. Now back to the original recording with Lauren kicking us off with the news. So I brought some news to the table this month. On November 4th, the US EPA proposed to amend the 2015 Coal Combustion Residual CCR rule, which regulates how coal ash plants manage wastewater. According to the New York Times, the new measures would lower pollution limits, extend the deadline for power plants to comply with new wastewater treatment technologies until December 31st, 2028, and even exempt some coal plants. Also, according to the EPA, about 1.1 million Americans live within three miles of coal plants that discharge into a public waterway. And according to environmental group data, 95% of coal ash plants are online, meaning there is no barrier between the groundwater. The EPA will, however, hold an online-only public hearing on the proposed rule on December 19th. This isn't the first time that we've discussed coal ash regulations on the podcast. Uh, Last fall, we discussed Hurricane Florence's impact on coal ash ponds in North Carolina, which definitely has a larger one-water impact to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, coal ash remediation, I think that I've seen this a lot from uh, the Industrial Water and Waste Digest side of, like, dealing with and shutting down coal ash um, ponds and whatnot. We've had a couple articles, I think, over the years in IWWD, so I'll... I'll be sure to insert some of those into the show notes, but um, I'm pretty sure that we had one uh, within the past year, maybe year and a half or so. Um, but it is it is a becoming a bigger trend with this coal ash, um, these coal ash ponds because they do seep into the groundwater and like how do you remediate that? Um, how do you treat that water? Um, and then the, with the shutting down, a lot of them are trying to figure out like all right, well now we have to pump this water out of there. We mm-hmm. have to put it through a different system to treat it so that we can then discharge it properly and be limits and stuff so this is really interesting that they're doing like this webinar and like educational thing here because that I, I I don't see coal ash remediation going away because it's just gotten it seems to have gotten more intense over time 
Yeah, and I feel like it's important they're having that public hearing, too, because I feel like a lot of people <clears throat> don't realize the effects it can have and also maybe don't realize how close they live to plants that have coal ash and situations like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it was interesting to me that it's an online-only public hearing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a live, in-person Q&A. Um, but the 2015 rule was pretty unique because before that, standards were a little bit looser regarding monitoring of local waterways and remediation techniques. So it was really designed to bring coal ash plants up to standard with their wastewater treatment equipment, which is expensive, of course, which is the genesis of these new pullbacks, minimizing some of those expenses and making it more of a long-term project. Yeah, and we we should also note the, the impact that this could have on, like, um, well owners and stuff in oh, those certain areas as, as well. Um, yeah. I know that I try, I try and always keep that in mind because for the most part I deal with municipal stuff, but I do try and keep in mind when it comes to industrial users like this and the discharge, mm-hmm. how does that in, in or, uh, how does that influence or impact the resident who has a water well and what types of treatment would they need to install mm-hmm. or take or, or pieces of equipment would they need to install to treat that kind of thing to make sure that their well water isn't mm-hmm. contaminated you know um and i i i feel like i can sometimes really lose sight of that element of things considering how many people are still on wells especially in the u.s and how many people are on small systems in the u.s that may not have the capital to put in equipment to um to treat this kind of thing so And one thing this New York Times article that I'm referencing here noted was of those 1.1 million Americans who live within three miles of a coal plant, a lot of those people are minorities or people who are lower income. There's a lot more small systems out there than we realize, Mm -hmm. and those are going to be the places that are going to be particularly impacted by some of these deregulations. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good segue into the information Katie brought to the table today. Um, Katie, you had some updates about a new infrastructure plan in Ohio to share? Yeah, so last March, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine introduced the H2 Ohio Plan, which is a water quality initiative to invest in long-term solutions to ensure clean and safe drinking water in Lake Erie. Um, According to the initiative's website, the goal is to reduce harmful algal blooms, improve wastewater infrastructure, and prevent lead contamination. Um, And recently, on November 13th, um, Governor DeWine laid out details for the first time about the plan, saying that Northwest Ohio, specifically the Maumee River watershed, will be the first targeted area. And the initiative aims to help farmers reduce phosphorus runoff from commercial fertilizer and manure to prevent harmful algal blooms. Counties within that watershed will have a localized phosphorus target to ensure accountability and farmers can enroll in H2 Ohio programs for funding incentives in time for spring planting. Additionally, the plan will fund infrastructure projects in disadvantaged communities, replace hundreds of failing home sewage treatment systems, and will assess lead exposure in daycare centers and schools in high-risk areas of the state. The Ohio General Assembly has invested $172 million in the plan, um, and they expect uh, more announcements regarding it to come uh, in the next few weeks. But if you want more information, you can visit h2.ohio.gov, which is the information I'm referencing today. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing that I 
note specifically here is the home sewage treatment system. So talking about septic sink tanks and other decentralized systems involved there. And then additionally, the um, lead exposure in daycare centers and schools and how that mm-hmm. interfaces directly with the proposals in the lead and copper rule, how municipalities yeah. will have to now test those specific facilities. Yeah. So that's aligned very well with that. But that issue of uh, home sewage treatment systems is a big deal as well. We, we know already from in Florida mm-hmm. the impact failing septic systems have on the waterways down there and how that's influencing red tide and algae blooms and all that type of thing. So to see them be trying to head this off mm-hmm. with an initiative like this is really important. Um, and I'm really curious to see how it will be implemented and what the results will be because it could end up being something that other municipalities look to as a foundation to build upon. So, My first thought as well was also how this nicely coincides with the lead and copper rule, which we discussed on the podcast last month, and how we're increasingly seeing states and municipalities taking their water infrastructure into their own hands. This seems like a really comprehensive, I mean, this is absolutely a one water plan. We've got everything included in here from upgrading wastewater systems to managing commercial fertilizer runoff and manure all the way down to lead in daycare centers. So echoing Bob, as I look forward to seeing how other states and municipalities hopefully align with these ideas. Mm-hmm. And in the State of the Industry report for Water and Waste Digest in December, there's an entire section dedicated in that report to the lead and copper rule and the what, what, what are seen as the top five biggest impacts there. So to read more about the lead and copper rule, that's a good place to get kind of a condensed um, group of thoughts mm-hmm. on that. So. so Katie, you've had a lot of experience reporting on algal blooms mm-hmm. in your most recent role living in Florida. Do you have any thoughts you wanted to add on this? Um, yeah, I think that algal bloom, so the one that I covered a lot was red tide, um, but there's other ones, there's like green and blue, and so there's a lot, and they are naturally occurring, but there also are, you know, systems that feed into them that can just kind of vamp up their effects. So I think it'll be interesting to see how, you know, Ohio can do this. And I know that they said they would have, you know, um, frequent assessment of the plan to see like when adjustments Mm -hmm. need to be made and kind of see what's going on. Yeah. And I think it's also cool that they're, you know, working with the farmers to do this as well. um, And, you know, giving them funding incentives and making sure that, you know, all this will be implemented in time for their, you know, 2020 planting too. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. Ohio has had a lot of issues with algal blooms in the mm-hmm. past, just this past summer, in fact, last spring. Lake Erie was declared uh, impaired for its water quality, so it's important to take steps to do that. I know other states are doing this as well in different ways where they have partnerships with farmers to um, create incentives for erosion control and reducing phosphorus runoff. So. Mm-hmm. So now we'll turn it over to that recording from Left Tech with Mods Warming from Dan Foss talking about drives, energy efficiency, and the evolution of the drive world. So here you go. So 
So we're here in our booth with Mods Warming. He is the Global Director of Water and Wastewater for Dan Foss. We wanted to interview him for our Talking Underwater podcast, and we're going to start that discussion kind of with a high-level thing. You've been telling us a little bit about uh, energy neutrality. Yeah. Um, could you talk about that and where, where that's going? Yeah. As a, as a part of uh, the climate agenda and all these things, uh, we have uh, in uh, Denmark created the first place on the planet where it has been possible uh, for uh, 200,000 people both to get uh, drinking water, getting wastewater pumped and wastewater cleaned without using any energy. And uh, the tricks in it or the, the strategy in it is in fact that on the one hand you have worked with uh, getting uh, high efficiency, also getting the energy consumption down. And if you do it the right way, then on the wastewater facilities you will be able to produce a lot more energy. You'll in fact have a double effect where you, if you save the right way, then you'll get more slots to your digest and then you'll get more methane gas, then you can produce more energy. And in that way we have created a, a wastewater facility together with a, a utility where they are up and producing 230% of energy. That means 130% more energy than you need for treating the wastewater. What is important is that there's not used any tricks. There's, it's pure household wastewater. Mm-hmm. There is uh, no uh, wind or solar panel or there's no slot coming from anywhere else. It's just based on traditional uh, household wastewater and traditional processes, in fact, activated slot treatment process. But the difference is that they have been used a tremendous lot of online sensors. And what I like, of course, a lot of wireless speed drive, which are offering the controllability. Yeah. And, and what is amazing to see is that because you implement that, you are then able to, to, to get uh, results we were not even think ourselves was possible. So basically you can take the water industry, which consumes right now around about 4% of all electricity on the planet, mm-hmm. you could bring that down to zero. Yeah. Which both for the utility is attractive from a cost point of view because there's a return on investment around about three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. And also for the climate is of course a great thing. Yeah. Yep. Well that's really interesting that you mentioned that it's all household waste because I feel that most of those waste to energy type of things always are looking to try and get as much fog yep. as possible. Yep. So I mean, how does that work where you don't even need that? How, do, how, do, how does that come about? Yeah, but uh, the, 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 the trick is, there or, or what they have done, because we have worked together with the utility, but there's some yeah. clever people at utility which really <laughs> have been thinking the right right sorts. Uh, but that is, in fact, that, that uh, this to go for full online real-time process control, as where you let sensors have a tremendous lot of sensors online, mm-hmm. which you trust enough that you let a computer control everything. So on these facilities, there's only people seven hours a day. There's okay. nobody at night time because there's not need for it because everything is process controlled with help of the computer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that was what we were also a little bit, is that really possible? Yes, but that yeah. is possible. Uh, and then to your question about fog and other things, that could be added and then you would just because we have yeah. no we have no problem with that. That is a good idea to use yeah. uh, from the food industry and other places. That's not the issue. The issue is just that you could start with just household wastewater yeah. and squeeze it that far. And if you then add fog, you are maybe on three, four, five hundred percent of energy production. Yeah. So it's quite amazing. Yeah. yeah. So was there um, was there issue in, with perception with those those digital systems then that automation side with that utility at all? I know that for some utilities, people are just scared of. Yeah relinquishing that 
control. Yeah. What, 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 how do you overcome that challenge? Uh, I think that the, the biggest thing was really to respect that you need to have the operator on board. So yeah. they have been spending a tremendous lot of time on securing that they understand what is going on and why, and they can see themselves what is it they have to do, because their job is of course changing. Yeah. When, when the computer can do as much as it can. There's still a lot of preventive maintenance, there are a lot of other things you can use them for, and there's still things they, they need to secure that these sensors are working and so on. So, so there's other things, but it have really been crucial uh, that you on the one hand have some top management which believe in it, but also that, that these operators can see what is done, because you are quite right, else, else you lose everything. If, if they cannot see in the daily work, why is this important? Mm. I think the other thing is that in opposite to when we talk digitalization, then sometimes it's made very advanced uh, with machine learning, and I don't know all these things. That's not used here. Okay. It's, it's, it's down on the level that we have a lot of sensors, we know exactly what we want to use them for, mm -hmm. we have an overview over the whole facility, we look at it holistic, but we know exactly. It's, it's not. It's not uh, in the uh, artificial intelligence or something like that. It's, it's, it's human intelligence, as we call it, uh, <laughs> which, which are in and really understand what can we do with that signal, how can we process, optimize here and there, yeah. and then getting the operator on board. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Can you see systems like this being utilized on a larger scale? What would those next steps look like? And how are you and Dan Fox working to spread the sustainable model? Yeah, so we um, have worked in fact together with uh, Chicago here uh, for last four or five years, I think, uh, where I would guess there have been 20, 30 people from Chicago in Denmark. And in fact, there's a swap right now where there's people from Denmark here and there's some of the Chicago people permanently at some of the wastewater facilities in Denmark trying to learn how, how to do these things. Very cool. uh, we are in cooperation with uh, LA and uh, San Francisco also, which are looking into the same thing. So we are trying, we have something we call Water Technology Alliance, uh, which uh, we are trying to exchange know-how across. On top of that, we work a lot with uh, IEA, the International Energy Agency, and we have a lot of people in uh, New York right now at United Nations and talking about what is in fact possible. Not the only thing Danfoss is talking about, but one of them is that within water is in fact amazing what could be done. And if you look into United Nations and the SGD goals, then you would know that right now 20% of wastewater is treated on the planet. Within 2030, we should be up on 60. And there's a huge difference between if you do it the one way or the other way. It has proven, uh, IEA calculated that the difference is 650 terawatts if you do it the, 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 the way I just have talked about in Denmark yeah. or the traditional way. That is equivalent to all energy production from all cold power plants in Europe, just to put it in perspective. So it really means something if we can get people to see this is opportunity and uh, these facilities have run for the last five, six years and they are doing the same in Copenhagen and in, in Odin, so we know we can copy it. So uh, yeah, we think it's a great opportunity. We need to get the voice spread. Yeah. So I'm hoping that's what I'm doing. Here. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you do keep on mentioning this whole sensors element to this um, yep. and you were just showing me over at your booth how your VFD can be used as a sensor. Can you talk about how that has been developed and how that even came about? Yeah. 
as a, our uh, basic so learning from the water industry and talking to customers, knowing hopefully what is important for them, uh, and that usually is uptime. As that is, how can we be sure that the mayor don't get wastewater into his basement? Yeah. Or how can we be sure there is drinking water in the morning? Yeah. That that mm. that, that is what can get them up three o'clock in the night. And and uh, what we have uh, looked at is how we could develop our VFDs so that they are able to sense uh, if something goes wrong, either on the motor or on, on the pump or, or in the pumping station. And basically what it is, is to say that, that we go out and when you have make an installation, go out and measure on different parameters, that, that is on vibration, that's on load and other things, uh, where we measure on uh, when the pumping station is new, how is it looking as a function of speed. And then you can make a calculation and say, as long as it stays within a certain band, then everything is okay. If it suddenly stick out, yeah, then yeah. something is wrong in that pumping station. We will not claim that we can say that it is exactly that is wrong, and that's not our point. Our point is that we can supervise the pumping station mm -hmm. in such a way that you'll get a warning if something is wrong. So instead of that you are waiting until it runs dead, which often happen. Yeah. Here you'll get a much earlier warning so that you can get out before everything breaks down. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And the, the important thing is then that there's others coming with systems which try to do similar things, but the major part of these systems demand that you have a cloud connection, yeah. which quite often will be extremely expensive because you are in remote places and you are different places where you don't have access to cloud. You would have to pay a lot for the cloud connection and there's a lot of, at least in Europe I can say, there's a lot of people who don't like to be connected to cloud because they are scared about hacking and all other issues. And therefore our decision has been let us embed it into the drive. Yeah. So we have edge computing in the drive where we can do all the calculations and so on. And then from the drive you get, if you just want a red light, you can get a red yeah. light. If you want it into your skater system, you can get it into your skater system and get a warning where you want. If you want it into the cloud, you can also get it into the cloud. But, yeah. but, but the important thing is that it is done down in the drive. So, so it is this new digitalization trend that make on a, made on a way where you can work with it in daily life without having the demand for cloud connection the whole time. Yep. Yeah. So, and then the, the last thing I wanted to talk, chat with you about was the energy efficiency thing. I know that this is like really core to Dan Foss's yes. mission and whatnot. Could you talk about kind of what's on the horizon when it comes to energy yep. efficiency yep. drives? As uh, drives have been around for many years and um, some would know that the physical laws is saying a lot about why you can save so much with a drive. And basically it's nothing else than if you, if you turn the speed down on a pump, yes, you'll save so and so much. Of course, these physical laws is the same whether it's Danfoss or somebody else, uh, because it is a physical law. Now, what a lot of people tend to forget is that, that a drive has typical 2% laws, independent uh, which one you're buying. Yeah? But there's a tendency to forget that there's a lot more to it when you look at energy efficiency of the drive than just the drive itself. So quite often, and that at least is the case here in the US, also when you get into a 100 horsepower bow, uh, people often would ask for harmonic mitigation. Yeah. And if you ask for harmonic mitigation, then the focus is typical on, we have to be sure we comply, which, which is fair enough. Mm -hmm. um, we have four or five technologies which we can offer. 
Uh, some of them are used in other industries for other purposes. Uh, and we have something we call advanced uh, uh, filter technology, which will use a lot less energy than traditional active front-end technology. Yeah. And, and, and the point is that uh, you can get the same harmonic mitigation done, exactly the same, but to a different cost energy-wise. Yeah. And, and our technology, which are the same as air cancellation technology, which you know from your headphones, mm -hmm. uh, will be uh, is clever in on measuring exactly what you need, and then only counter that. And that means that we cut the energy consumption down to one third of what you normally use. So instead of using three percent, you use one percent. On top of that, if you now imagine you have a drive with a two percent loss, then you have. Uh, harmonic mitigation with three, mm -hmm. then you have five percent loss. If you then have to have an air conditioning system taking the heat out, mm -hmm. then you would use round about uh, around about two percent because you'll use four what uh, what you have to to take out. So around yeah. about uh, two percent additional. So now we have suddenly got from two percent, five percent to seven percent. So if you look at what we call installed efficiency, that install when you're done is maybe on 7%. Yeah. Now, Danfoss have what we call a back-channel cooling system, where we have separated the whole electronic uh, and, and have seen through that uh, we are some heat pipes that we get all heat out into something we call a back-channel. Yeah. And there we take air from outside and directly in and then take it out again, mm -hmm. so no air condition. And in that way we can take 90% of all the heat out. Mm -hmm. That means that instead of using 2% loss, we have only 0.2% loss. Yeah. So if you take these both technology, then instead of having a, a combined loss of close to 7%, mm -hmm. you squeeze it back to maybe 3% or something like that. Yeah. And that will, if you begin to calculate on that, even with electricity prices as here in Chicago, I know they are not that high. <laughs> in California, they are higher than they are in Denmark. Yeah. But, but, but still, if you begin to calculate on that, you get to amazing results. We had a case in UK where they figured out that uh, with UK electricity prices, even if the competitor to us was offering all the right free of charge, the mm -hmm. customer was better off to pay us full price just in over five years. So, yeah. so it really means something. Adds up fast. Uh, it adds up very fast. It adds, especially on, on the larger drives, it adds up extremely fast, yeah. So, uh, typical something people forget. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mads, for welcome. talking to us today. We really appreciate it. Um, we will uh, see you on the show floor. Yeah, super. And awesome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, ladies. Hey, this is Bob again in post. I wanted to give you a quick programming update on the Randy Abrams interview. While we don't have anything scheduled quite yet, we do plan on re-recording the interview with Randy Abrams from OpsWat on cybersecurity so that we can share that information with you still. If you want to get updates on how that's going, when to expect the episode and whatnot, because it'll be on an off week, you can follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Now for the rest of the normal episode with the original recording. Thanks. So we also wanted to give a little plug. We are accepting nominations for WQP for the Faces of the Industry special issue, which comes out in March. We are accepting nominations for our young professionals and also our industry icon programs. 
Nominations are due January 1st, 2020, and I know that WWD has a similar program running as well. Yeah, we have our Young Professionals program already open on the website. If you go to wwdmag.com slash young hyphen pros hyphen nomination, I believe that you can get to it. Otherwise, use bit.ly slash WWD Young Pros, and it'll take you to that nomination form. We are closing those nominations March 15th, so there's plenty of time to get in nominations now, but the earlier you get them in, the, the sooner we can start evaluating the, the people to include in the May issue of Water Meets Digest. We really look forward to this these issues every year because it's an honor and a privilege to be able to highlight the great work that water treatment professionals and wastewater professionals likewise, young and industry mm-hmm. icons alike, are doing. So we look forward to learning more about noteworthy rising stars and industry icons. So we will include those links in the show notes for you. Yep. And next month, we're going to have a little bit different of an episode for you. Um, each of us has now worked on our State of the Industry reports, so we have some good quotes and information that we wanted to share with you. So we're planning on taking some of the information from those reports and sharing it in an audio format with you. So it will be a little bit of a different format, and we're hoping that it turns out really nice because we have some great quotes from really smart people about the industry, So, and we want to share them with you. So hopefully this will turn out really cool because the idea that we have uh, seems really interesting to us, and we're looking forward to making it for you. But other than that, other housekeeping duties... Remember to like and subscribe, share our podcast with people that you know and other people in the industry. We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to any or all of those and leave a review. That can also help bump us up in the rankings. So um, if you want to reach out to us as well, more individually, you can reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share your thoughts. We really appreciate getting conversation started in that regard and sharing your thoughts with others on the podcast like we did last month with Grant Izzo's comments. So if you have anything, please share them with them with us. We'd like to share your thoughts as well. Thanks listeners and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving.